0: Welcome to the Advisor Arena podcast with your hosts, Jamie Malm and Josh Watson. This show is designed to share ideas and help you gain insight from some of your most successful peers. We will discuss industry news, hot topics, and challenges you may face, as well as give you some possible solutions. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. I'm here with the lovely Josh Watson. Who is Thank just you. freshly back from your second round of skiing, right?
1: I know. I know. I feel guilty. What can I say? <laughs> it's been a good March for Josh Watson. Was, it was uh,
0: passive aggressive. So was that your I second <laughs> round of skiing that I wanted I to know. get in there?
1: You you definitely owe me. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Thank you so much for holding it down.
0: I don't owe you said that backwards you oh, definitely yes. owe me yeah
1: okay. yeah we'd think about that. i definitely owe you.
0: but you don't you don't you uh you do more than we'll pull your weight around here so you're always missed when you're gone but i am jealous that you were skiing because skiing is one of my favorites so you took the family last week and jenna doesn't ski your no. wife but you've got logan groomed so she was out there hitting the slopes with you right
1: oh yeah she's good so she's uh seven this year this is her second year and she's we skied her first black she insisted on it Dang. so i took her down a black she fell of course three or four times but she made it down she Gets never right got back frustrated up. got nice. right back up she's some life ski. lessons there yep she can ski pretty much any blue
0: so she's rolling it was a lot of fun that's really cool we haven't been in several years but the last time we went i'm trying to think ashton was probably he was probably four or five And right before we went in for lunch, we just had just taken off the harness. You know, I was skiing with the big harness that you hook and he's out in front doing his little pie wedge. We had just taken it off. We get all bundled up back and we're going to go back out. And we didn't want to take the shuttle over to the lift that we had been using. My husband and brother said, well, there's a lift right here. Let's just go up to that one. I think that goes to the same place. No, it went up to only one way down, which was very much, it was a blue, but it was basically a black because right. it, was, it was a very short section that we had to make it down, but it was very narrow, very, very steep. We had three kids all under the age of nine, I think at the time, one of which had just lost a harness <laughs> like hours before. We uh, we stood at the top of that mountain for a very long time, getting a game <laughs> plan. But they did awesome. Oh, no no injuries. I don't even think we had any falls. So
1: oh good. There you that. go.
0: There they you can go. do it. All right. So we're talking bank failures today because of course it is a hot topic. You cannot hardly turn on your TV, open your smartphone. The fear about bank failures is obviously everywhere. So. We know those of you that are financial advisors on here listening with us, we know you're fielding questions from your clients. So we want to talk a little bit about this. One, what the heck happened? Two, what can we expect now maybe moving forward for the trickle down effect? And three, what can you do to be proactive and really start educating your clients on some of the concerns they have, what they have available to protect themselves and how you can address that with them? So hope it's helpful.
1: I think well first starting off I think one thing we learned from COVID and with all the different you know everything the the financial crisis through that was the advisors that were proactive that were proactively reaching out to clients with the info not being reactive waiting right. on them to call them they they in some cases wrote more business than they ever had because of that and kept and retain more business because of that so i think that's the big key with this is be proactive you put out a good email with some really good talking points um and gi i know gradient investments has put out some things so put the, get the information in your client's hands that's what they're looking for
0: yep so to recap obviously and to your point we don't want to stick our head in the sand and think gosh that's a That's a tough thing to talk about, and I don't know that I feel really well-versed in exactly what happened. So one, let's just talk very simplistically, high-level, because that's all my brain can probably absorb with the banking industry. I'm not an expert by any means, but we had Silicon Valley Bank, and then we had Signature Bank, two fairly major, I would say, U.S. banks, unheard of by most of us until last week, but they had some very rich clients, right? some big companies, a lot of startups, a lot in the tech world what happened, as I understand, in in reading the reports and doing a little investigating on this, they, especially Silicon Bank, had taken in billions and billions of dollars, really maybe got out ahead of their skis a little bit, for lack of a better analogy. (laughs) They had um, all these clients that maybe were startups maybe a little riskier clients than some others maybe they couldn't get lending from other banks and so signature or silicon valley bank came in and said we'll take a risk on you and it paid off they were doing well they were bringing in billions they then took those billions thought they were doing the responsible thing and saying well how are we going to now invest this money they put it in what should be a very safe bet, and historically speaking has been a very safe bet, which was long-term government bonds. We all know as people that write annuities and talk annuities and what's the underlying component of the safety in annuities, what's the biggest problem with bonds? Liquidity. When you have to go sell a bond before its maturity date, you have to go sell it at whatever the environment is at that time. It's how we, you know, as nudity producers will think about how we explain MVAs on an annuity product. If you don't play by the rules and you surrender your annuity early and the insurance carrier has to go surrender that bond, they're either going to sell it at a premium or a discount. Well, what's happened to bond values that we've all been talking about that's different than it has been for 40 years? bond values are in the toilet because interest rates are skyrocketing and they always go opposite each other. So when Silicon Bank had a run on cash, they had to go sell those bonds. That further created a crunch. And when you have big clientele like that, it's not, you know, you and I went and pulled the money from the bank and we told a few of our friends, these are multi-million, billion dollar clients. And they felt the pain of that max exodus very, very quickly. They just couldn't come up with the cash they needed to sustain that. So my understanding anyway, and let's not be bothering with fact checking here. So if we've got any fact checkers on here, don't bother emailing us that we got that wrong. It was close enough, close enough for an explanation. But seriously, it's my understanding that this is one of the first bank failures that isn't due to like fraud or loans that were an issue, like we saw in the 2008 crisis, this was something that should have been really safe, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they thought they were doing the right thing who, you know, going and investing in 10 year bonds when interest rates are at all time lows. I mean, I guess it is a safe investment, but here's the, I mean, it's not 100% safe, right? So um, not good. I think a big difference too is like when I start hearing things like that, like, Oh my gosh, you know, insurance companies also invest in bonds. You know, is that going to create problems for them? I think one of the big differences is, you know, with, with uh, insurance contracts, there's surrender charges, there's MVA charges. There's more of an incentive you know, for somebody to keep their money in an indexed annuity or an in, well, it's in why they have those product. things, right? Right, you know,
0: right. You, that's for for these times. Why we, why it's not just completely liquid. You know, that's right. the trade-off. And typically, a bank wouldn't have to be that liquid either, except you had these people talking about, hey, what's going on here, and do they have enough capital, and you know, mm-hmm. what's whatever. Rich startup companies talk about amongst themselves. I do not know, but created some fear. Whereas insurance companies, the whole design of the illiquidity of the annuity product is to protect protect things like that from happening. So let's exactly. take a step back. Let's talk a little bit about FDIC insurance.
1: And just to, just to say, they they don't have like there's nobody with a you know ten billion dollar annuity. Either you know what I mean, so with True. some of these bank clients, nobody I you know, know you could go withdraw 10, 15 billion dollars or whatever you needed, you know. So that's another big difference. So I just want to point that out. I think that's a good thing, you know, and something to keep in mind when it comes to insurance companies.
0: So, three sources of protection that we've been asked a lot about this week FDIC. Mm-hmm state guarantee funds, and SIPC. So let's talk about the three. FDIC insurance is the one that's probably most familiar sounding to people, even if they don't totally understand how to get the max protection. It is actually pretty simple. So it's $250,000 per institution, so per bank, per tax ID number. So I think that's a really easy way to think about it. I get 250,000 of tax protection, my husband gets 250,000 of tax protection of FDIC insurance protection. If we had our our company there that has a separate LLC, that joint account, that LLC would get the 250. So it's per bank, per tax ID, which means if for example, you are a small business owner and you might have more cash on hand periodically you have to pay payroll or something that it you really need to think about how you structure that either diversify a little bit between banks which probably isn't ideal if you're mm-hmm. you know running payroll and some of that or structure your accounts accordingly so that you don't have it all under one tax id that would be a really easy way to get max FDIC protection when it's there you just have to know how to utilize it and something that Obviously, didn't apply really to this scenario because we had multimillion dollar people that pulled it. But we had a lot of then smaller folks that were concerned about what am I going to be protected than over my 250? We had investors that were concerned about it. And of course, we've heard the uh, maybe both sides of the political argument on whether it should be a bailout or not. We won't get into that. Um, But FDIC insurance, knowing how to structure it, that's how you get the protection from the banks.
1: I agree, yep. So, just got to be careful with that. That's a huge lesson to take, you know, from this. That'd be, you know, something that's um, really valuable to clients to have to know how to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really good point.
0: I don't know if you've ever looked, I never had until this happened, but I thought, how often do banks actually fail? So, you know, the first day that this came out and it was on the news, I actually looked it up and there. I just Googled it, so I don't remember the the site, but there is actually a an official site. It has to report on bank failures. Scary for those of us that are in small banks, rural America. It was actually the majority of the banks that have failed in the last five years have been a lot of these little, small, family-owned banks, which you may mm-hmm. think, well, that's not a big surprise, but it's actually one of the fears that we're starting to hear in the media if people know the government's going to step in and give a huge bail or give a bailout to these huge banks that are too big to fail. What does that mean for these smaller banks? And so I especially was taking a lot of calls from my clients, from family members. You know, I I personally was kind of interested. I thought, gosh, I don't, what is the likelihood that banks fail? And it was more than I thought. And top of the list was Kansas, Nebraska, several just, you know, kind of unknown banks you'd never hear of, it's never going to be on mainstream media because it just flies under the radar. So really important that we know how to get the protection and we're doing just bare minimum things like that to help educate our clients so they do that. And I think that also applies to state guarantee funds, right? Agents talk about it, but how often do they actually put it into practice? You know, it's something that we, yeah, maybe should do that, but gosh, that's a lot of work to write four apps and split it to four different carriers. I don't think I'm going to do that. Let's talk about
1: right. state guarantee funds a little bit. Yeah, so same, same type of principle, um, different limits. Uh, I think with the FDIC, it's 250 across the board, like you were saying, every state. Well, with the uh, SIPC, it's it's going to be different in every state. But same thing applies. Um, if an insurance company was to go out of business, they couldn't cover their obligations. You've got the that to fall back on. So So just to to clarify what you said there,
0: SIPC is the securities. So that protects brokerage firms. We're talking state guarantee funds, which I think I just want to clarify that because we'll talk about that in a minute. But the state guarantee funds, there's a site for this, too. You can go look at all 50 states and it does vary the other. But I think. I think now 250 thousand is the minimum. A lot of states are at 300 thousand. There's an aggregate that you have to look at, mm-hmm. but it's an aggregate of policies: so life insurance, disability, annuities, long-term care. You really have to look at the aggregate for your state. But always beneficial if you do have somebody with multi millions. You know, we just took a call from a client not too long ago. In all the years I've been doing this, there's only been one carrier that's actually gone into receivership that I can think of where money has actually now been stalled out for a few years nobody's lost anything because it's still in receivership but people can't get access to their funds either and this woman has about a million dollars with this company and state guarantee funds are going to be you know 250. so it is important to think about it on every case every client know what risk you're taking and what makes sense for them and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that nobody talks about until something horrible happens, right? Nobody thought about really caring about the state guarantee funds until the company was in receivership. Nobody really gets concerned that one bank may be different than another bank until we hear about failures. And then we all start freaking out a little bit, which is what's happening now with some of these other banks like Credit Suisse. We're getting a lot of questions on the Swiss bank, because we have, of course, some annuity products with the index Credit Suisse. And so we've had some questions on that too.
1: Uh, Right. And I think one thing that's important to keep in mind with that is even though Credit Suisse, they're, you know, the, uh, the custodian, custodian of the index, I guess you'll call it, or manage the index. um, The, the insurance company still holds the client's assets. So it's not like, you know, any of this, there's any chance that it could, you know, impact clients, um, and, you know, losing money or anything like that. So that's the good news. Um, so even though the, you know, the bank, um, they're part of the index, it has nothing to do, I guess the insurance company's money and the bank's money are held completely. Well, separate.
0: I think the, the main thing to think about with that index is if something did happen with the bank, let's just say worst case scenario, credit, credit Suisse, Something happens to them, like what happened to Signature or Silicon. The insurance company that offers as an index is just going to remove it. They're just going right. to replace that index with another option. So there isn't actually anything that happens to the clients just because they were linked to that index. Maybe right. then they just don't link to that index moving forward. So it doesn't mm-hmm. actually put any of their uh, premium at risk. And one of the questions we got from an advisor was, do you think there might be a run on people wanting to cash in annuities because they're freaked out about um, safety and wanting to actually hold cash? And I said, no, one, because of what you shared earlier, there's things in place to protect themselves from that. People aren't going to do that because they're going to be hammered with early surrender penalties and MBAs. Mm-hmm. And definitely if you have an MBA, you don't want to have to go sell that bond right now. Um, So there's things in place to protect the carriers from that, which in turn protects the other policyholders. The other reason I don't foresee that happening is I actually think you're going to see more interest in annuities as people start to realize, oh, just having my liquid money sitting at the bank, maybe that's not quite as safe as looking at some of these other options or at least diversifying to some of these other safe money options. So I think actually the Opposite's going to hold true, and you're going to see more interest in using annuities for safer money assets.
1: Right, and and if banks are failing, why would you move your money from an annuity into a bank? You know, so right. That's another thing to think about with just what's happening. So yeah, I 100% agree. I don't I don't foresee that happening at all. Um, it's just important to I mean assure clients that hey, everything's kept separate. The bank doesn't pass on their losses to the insurance company, and vice versa your assets are kept with the insurance company. They've got strict, you know, requirements, so, solvency uh, I, I and agree. what they have to keep mm-hmm. in reserves.
0: The so the third item which we don't really deal with on our side, but of course, anybody that's handling investments or assets under management, we would be familiar with SIPC. And SIPC yes. is very similar to FDIC, but it's for protection against your brokerage firm failing. And I believe it's 500,000 for SIPC. One of the big disclaimers I know that I read out there all the time is like, make sure people know this. Is it for market losses? You assume people know that, but it's not. Oh, shoot, that mutual fund lost money. Well, I have SIPC insurance. And no, it's just if your brokerage firm fails um, and if you've filled out your applications and things for investments, you'll notice there'll be a box. I can either check FDIC insurance or SIPC insurance. I really couldn't tell you what the advantage or the disadvantage is to choosing one or one or the other. I suppose it has to do with the coverage, that's outside my area of expertise. But if you ever notice that, um, the cash that you hold, so for example, if I have dividends that are paying out and they're just sitting sitting out there, I want to make sure that I've got either that SIPC. If you don't elect that, I believe it defaults to FDIC insurance. So if somebody's like, oh gosh, well, is my cash protected if it's just sitting in a money market or something at the brokerage firm? Yes, that cash defaults to the FDIC protection. So Lots of good information out there. If you know who to ask, you know where to look, be the resource that can really be the calm amongst the storm here. This is a great opportunity to do that. Just like you mentioned with COVID, the worst thing you can do is stick your head in the sand and think, oh gosh, I don't know that I wanna talk to clients about this. They are going to be completely freaked out. They're gonna wanna know, what do I do? Or is the sky falling? Or is everything gonna crumble now? be proactive, be well-educated, provide them actual third-party info. We have a ton of it for you. You Our investment team went and did Mm -hmm. a lot of research. Our product desk on the annuity side has reached out to carriers to say, you know, is there things that you guys can share as we're getting questions from clients? So we've compiled a lot of really good info that allows you as the financial advisor to go out there and be proactive, which is key.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. So I I think this was kind of a two part call. So, Hey, here's what you can do to be proactive as a financial advisor. You know, you should be. And then, then the second thing is, is part of that is, you know, when we look at these insurance companies, I would feel confident and assured that, Hey, we're, you know, things are going to keep on rolling and annuities are a great, safe product. I mean, there's not a safer place you can put a client's money. And so that's the other thing.
0: And knowing how to talk about state guarantee funds when asked, knowing how Mm -hmm. to give recommendations on diversifying assets, knowing what kind of protection is out there. If somebody has money at a brokerage firm and a bank and annuities, and they're wanting to know, you know, am I taking advantage of everything that's out there? That's where you can really be proactive and differentiate yourself with what probably most are talking about, even just because they they may think i'm not real comfortable or i'm not sure what the aggregate rules are in my state get to know what the rules are in your state know the resources we all know we can't go out and be marketing for the protection of state guarantee funds but you absolutely should provide info when asked you know if somebody is concerned about it then that's when you step in and say great question let me answer that for you let me be completely transparent with how you're protected taking it one step further. If we're going to diversify to multiple carriers, that gives an extra layer of protection sometimes with how we take advantage of that. So yeah, I think just know your resources, know where to go for help. We're always willing to provide it for you. If you feel like I should have probably put something together, it's not too late. I did a video to my clients. I've helped several advisors put videos together. If you want to do one, let me know, just email Josh or I. Uh, if you just want to send something out via email, we've got some things that you can send to. So email the advisor arena at gradientfg.com. FG, IB, I think just just all of a sudden, all of a sudden reversed Man. us like 10 years when we had an old email <laughs> address. Let me rephrase that. Advisor arena at gradient ib.com like i don't look at that every day wow it's like when you forget your phone number all of a sudden out of the blue have you ever done that oh yeah oh yeah don't lie don't i was gonna say don't don't look at me like no i would never forget my phone number yes you have your own
1: no No. just me just my address
0: all right yeah well you never know. I, I feel like for every new thing that I learned, something has to exit my brain. So all this new stuff that I learned with FDIC and what happened with the banks, something had to go out. Apparently it was the email address that we've had for 20 years. It happens. All right, guys, thank you for joining. We will be back next week. Hit us up for anything that you need. We're always here to help. Thanks much.